Hello. Thank you for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. We tackle tough topics, and I think that one of the toughest topics we can possibly tackle are crisis hotlines. I read and I hear and I I see all sorts of crisis um, lines and crisis numbers that are available. When a tragedy occurs, we see them. Um, When we have ongoing problems like domestic violence or suicide issues, we see them. But what do we know about suicide hotlines? What do we know about crisis hotlines? What do we know about the whole crisis hotline thing? Because if you're like me, you really don't know a whole lot. But we're lucky today because we have Rena Fitzgerald with us. Rena is the Senior Program Manager for Crisis Services at Volunteers of America, Western Washington. And that's my neck of the woods. And she has more than 15 years' experience in crisis intervention and suicide prevention, and so she knows what she's talking about. Welcome, Rena. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. How did you get involved in, in crisis hotlines? Um, when you know, I, was, I mean, I, when, when, you, when you say to a little kid, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? They say cowboy or, you know, CEO or something. I, I have never heard somebody say I want to help with crisis hotlines. So where yeah. did that come from? What led you to that down that path? I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that either. Um, I have just kind of ended up here through lots of different ways. Um I knew I always wanted to help children, to work with children, Um, and so I was exploring the possibility of studying child psychology and wasn't really sure where to go with that, so looked for volunteer opportunities, and so I started volunteering at the hotline that I now am a manager for, um, just because it was one of the only places that you could actually get any direct experience before going to school. Um, And I really liked it. I really enjoy um, problem solving with people and and helping them get through that that space where they don't feel like there are any options or they're hopeful that there are, but they don't know what they might be or how to access them. So that's kind of how I got started is just volunteering um, to explore my future options and just really liked it. Um, ended up pursuing did you, education. Uh, mm-hmm, go ahead. No, uh, did you um, find that you are helping children at all or did you just go in a different tack there? Um, so there aren't an overwhelming amount of children who call the hotlines. Um, but with technology advancements, um, there is an online option that's been around since about 2012. And so for the online option through chat, we primarily do speak to young people. Um, probably, you know, 60 to 70 percent of our clients um, through chat are under the age of 25. And um, we have a pretty high number of of young people as young as 10 years old who utilize that service. So I do feel like it has paid off. (laughs) Just didn't know exactly how it was going to get there, but I definitely feel like, you know, we're helping children for sure. Yeah. Wonderful. I, I, you know, it's a career path that we don't often talk about and it's certainly a worthwhile one. Um, and uh, you've been doing it for 15 years or you've just been doing the managing for 15 years? 
Oh, no, I've only been managing for about four years. Before okay. that, I was one of the people on the phone. Yeah. So um, I'm going to play a bit of the ignoramus, probably because I am when it comes to crisis hotlines, um, and a bit of a devil's advocate, because I want to hear from mm-hmm. you. You know, I, I really want to hear why this is a good thing. Part of me, I must confess, Whenever I read about the latest tragedy, whenever I read about the latest um, uh, shooting or, or accident or egregious behavior, and, and I see all of the, the information for people to um, uh, seek counselors or for people to call crisis lines, and I think, really, really, do we need all that? Do we need all that? Mm-hmm. Why? Why do we need it? Why do we need a hotline? Um, uh-huh. I think one of the most important things that we do is provide people who do not have friends and family um, in their life or the friends and family they do have in their life are toxic for them. We provide them a 24-hour place that they can still call and talk. Um, and we're you know, pretty comfortable talking about the more painful things that happen in people's lives. Um, And we're comfortable talking about suicide. Um, So we really, I think, kind of fill a gap in society um, by being a safe place where people can talk about anything without being judged, without having to worry about scaring their family. Um, They can just talk. What good does that do to just talk? Um, Well, when we're talking about suicide, um, being able to talk about it helps uh, decrease impulse and urge to act on the thoughts. Um, So talking about it. Go ahead. Well, it's interesting to me that you say that because I, I of course, I'm a, I'm a talker. I've always been a talker, much mm-hmm. to my my family's dismay, um, and and I find that I literally, I I always say I can handle anything as long as nobody ever tapes my mouth shut, <laughs> because the process of talking about it is so helpful for me, no matter what it is. Yeah, it is. But I didn't and, realize and that that was kind of a universal thing. Yeah, definitely, and it's you know. Because we're you're talking to a trained counselor when you call us, um, it's not just letting the the caller ramble without any direction. You know, I mean, if that's what they need to do, they need to vent. Then, then obviously we 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 give them that time to do that. But the counselor, you know, understands the process and will help guide the conversation so that the person has the opportunity to learn from what they're saying. Um, to hopefully gain some insights about how they're feeling and thinking, because when we're in crisis or contemplating suicide, um, we don't always know what we need. We don't always feel completely connected to our feelings and our thoughts around it, so it gives them that opportunity to to be heard and to learn about their own thoughts and feelings. That makes perfect sense to me when we're talking suicide. But I'm a little unsure, or I don't quite understand, when there's a national tragedy, like a school shooting. It's horrible. It's awful. But if you're not in that state, if you don't know the people that it occurred to, 
um, to me, you feel sad, you want to do something about the issue, but is it a crisis for you? Is it something that requires you to call a hotline? That's confusing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have answered calls for the, the disaster distress helpline in the past, and so I have talked to people um, who, you know, have experienced a, a public shooting um, and a hurricane and fires and, and, and things like that that we don't think of as your typical crisis. Um, and they often are experiencing overwhelming feelings and fear. So to me, in my mind, it's not any different than any other crisis call. They need someone to help them process those feelings. And, you know, a lot of times um, – when we're experiencing something we're unprepared for, like a disaster of some kind, um, we don't know how we're supposed to feel about it. We don't know if, you know, my waking up having nightmares about it is okay or not. And so the more we don't know, the more anxiety that can cause can kind of spiral. Um, So having a place where you can call and check in with someone, you know, is this a problem that two weeks after the shooting, I'm still having nightmares about it? Is it okay? Um, so from my perspective, it's no different than any other crisis call. Okay. And some of that is my ignorance, uh, you know, um, so thank you for explaining that. Um, what co- You mentioned that, um, the, that that it's a safe place. When people call a crisis hotline, it's a safe place. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, that makes sense, and, and we need safe places because, yes, we can talk to families and friends, but we can't necessarily do it 24 hours a day. Um, Yes, we can talk to family and friends, but quite frankly, they get burdened with it and don't want to hear it too much anymore if you can't let it go after a certain length of time. Um, So having some, an ear where, as you mentioned, is a safe place where you can talk about it one more time because you need to uh, without getting an eye roll or without people thinking that you need to, you know, that, that there's something wrong with you. I can see the huge value in that. What other values are there to calling a hotline? Um, There's so much that's available in any given community for resources um, that until you're in a situation where you would need one, you just don't know about. So um, I think hotlines have, you know, in most places across the nation, have have access to directly or knowledge about um, crisis services that, you're not going to find by doing a Google search. Um, you know, you, you might not be able to find out how to contact a mobile crisis team online by yourself. But if you contact your local crisis line, they can certainly, if they're not the ones who actually do the dispatching for that team, know how to access it. So we do a lot of, um, you know, connecting people to resources as well as just, you know, helping them through the emotional crisis of the moment. If you um, call a hotline, um, if, is it better to call a local one or a national one? Because I see both. Yeah, so the um, Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is the national number, the 800-273-TALK number um, that most people are aware of after the Grammys. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, I, do, that I don't is, have a TV, so I'm a Luddite when it comes oh, to that. Really? So. Oh, <laughs> there's a, a rapper, um, Logic, who did a song about the number. Um, okay, but it's a very heavily advertised number, um, and that number will get people exactly where they need to be. Um, 
it okay. how it works. So and, the and, national and, numbers kind of hook them up mm-hmm. with local uh, resources. Yeah. Yeah, because so when you were saying so that calling a hotline, you, you know, they know more about resources available locally. And I'm thinking, but what if, if you're in Texas, and I'm calling right. from Washington State, wouldn't you just be googling what's available? So what will happen if you are in Texas um, is the the routing system, the technology behind the how the phones work, um, will use your area code, and it will connect you to it the closest available center to you. So oh, wait a minute, I see a glitch. With everybody's cell phones now, I mean, I yes. can have my next door neighbor can have, a, <laughs> can have an glitch. area code That's from right. Schenectady. <laughs> That's right. So that is that is a glitch um, that, to my knowledge, um, I don't think anyone's thought of a good way to fix it because um, people with their cell phones are just keeping their numbers regardless of whether they move yeah. from one state to another. Um, so you'll, so in that situation, if, you know, I have a Boston phone number and I'm living in Oregon, I'm going to get somewhere closer to Boston than Oregon. Um, but those counselors are all trained in the same general um, practices, and so they're going to be able to help the person through the crisis right now, and then they will be able to um, let them know what their local crisis line is. They're going to, you know, they're going to spend time with the person, talk with them, help them strategize what to do next after this phone call, and and part of that would be to connect them with their local crisis line, either directly or just by giving them the phone number. Okay, dope. Okay, now I want to talk about. If you want to just um, talk, you know, don't don't let me keep interrupting you. But I have so many questions. Uh, so I'm just going to keep shooting you questions. Um, you said that they are trained counselors. How do you train somebody for the wide variety and the potential, you know, crises that that they might get calls for? Who are these people? And where do they get this training? And, you know, are they paid well? <laughs> well, as you know, teachers and um, public mental health professionals aren't paid the best. But <laughs> um, So the, it's, it's really variable from center to center. Some centers primarily have a volunteer base. Um, a lot of the larger centers have a mix of staff and volunteers. Um, you know, at our center here, we have interns from human services programs and social work programs, and we have some community volunteers, people who just were looking for something meaningful to do for, you know, four hours a week. Um, we have bachelor's level clinicians and master's level clinicians. So we have a pretty wide variety. Um, so, you know, we hire people with degrees. We expect that they've had, you know, training (laughs) in different therapy modalities and counseling techniques. Um, And so when we have someone come in from the community, we, you know, we just put them through our own in-house training to teach them the same skill set that they haven't learned anywhere else. How long is that training? Um, It's really variable for the individual. Um, It's all, Uh you know, paced at for their learning style and, and how they learn the best. So some people, you know, will train up and be ready to start talking to people in, you know, a couple of weeks, and others it might be six weeks. Um, I would say that, you know, if you just put, like, hours on the actual training, it's 
for a volunteer, it's probably about like 40 classroom hours plus then role plays and um, shadowing, you know, watching people who are already experienced do it. Um, How do you know if somebody's going to be good at that? Well, um, you know, you don't, honestly, to a certain degree, which is why we don't just put people on the phone their first day. Um, <laughs> Hi, welcome. What did you say your name was? Go ahead and answer that phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's see how you so, do. <laughs> and, you know, the, the the people don't always know if this is going to be the best fit for them either. Um, so, you know, we do it. I mean, we interview, we do a screening process. Um, you know, I like to let people know exactly what it is that they're signing up for, right, you know, like first day, because um, it's not for everyone. And, you know, some people want to really help the the larger community and so they say, oh, this would be a fun volunteer opportunity. And they don't realize at that moment when they're reaching out to us that we talk to suicidal people all the time, every day. We're, you know, working with um, children who are telling us about the horrible abuse that they're suffering. We're, you know, working with rape victims and survivors and you know, it's it's not just all, I'm feeling sad today, um, and I just need someone to talk to for five minutes to help me, you know, get a brighter outlook. There's that, too. But there's a lot of, you know, very um, emotionally difficult to hear stories. So I like to, you know, have people know that when they're first coming in, because I don't want to waste their time. And, you know, we don't have a lot of time either. I would be worried, for for example, I would be one of those people that you absolutely would not want to volunteer because I could foresee my saying, my trying to talk them out of how they felt or um, Mm -hmm. minimizing what they felt. I mean, I'm one of those people that I just, you know, I either sit on the floor crying with you or I go, oh, for heaven's sake, get over it, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) move on, you know. Um, So I would definitely not be the person you'd want answering the phones. Um, how do people learn the sensitivity? Is that something they either have or they don't have? I mean, I can't imagine that you can train somebody to have have the sensitivity required. I, I think that that's true based on experience of trying trying to train that person <laughs> before. Um, <laughs> so if you ever see you me know, signing some... up, you just uh uh-uh, uh close the door <laughs> in my face. I would not be good. <laughs> yeah. So we you know we work with people um, and have them do a lot of practice responses and work with them on increasing their empathy and and having the appropriate level of empathy for what they're hearing. Um, and if they can't do it, then they're just not, this isn't going to be the best place for them. And it's, you know, we'll, we'll have that conversation that there's, this is a skill set they just aren't progressing in. And so maybe it's time for us to part ways and for them to find a different opportunity. It happens. Wait, it's pretty sad if you get fired from your volunteer job. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we I try to structure it. the crisis line over that one. Um, yeah, we try to structure it so that you know they know that before they uh, before they get too invested. Well, and and I'm making light of it. I mean, there's always yeah. there there in any organization there is all sorts of need for work that has nothing to do with direct client contact, and and That's there are sure. plenty of places that volunteers can help out even if they're like me and they would not be good at the one-on-one. Mm-hmm. You said an appropriate level of empathy. 
Mm-hmm. How do you know what's appropriate? Is there a chart? Is there? <laughs> can um, I Google no, appropriate you... and it will list? <laughs> that list, you know, give give me those little smiley face things, you know, to the from smiley face to frowny face, like they have so you know so often now for the customer yeah. satisfaction stuff. Because apparently we yeah. no longer need words; we can just do the smiley faces. Um, <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you been yeah. somewhere or gotten an email where they want you to evaluate, and they don't even ask you a question; they just have the 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 emojis, smiley face, straight face, and and a, and a frowny face. That's it. That's huh? You just click yeah, on no, the I one. Yeah, no, I personally don't get those, but I know they exist. <laughs> yeah, I, they had it for a while at my doctor's office. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought, really? <laughs> on my way out the door, I'm supposed to slap the smiley face or the frowny face. You know, what's that tell yeah. you? And you know, it tells you more about my yeah. mood that day than anything else. I think. Right. Anyway. Yeah. So, um, how do you? So how do we evaluate? know if it's appropriate? Um, yes. You would gauge that based on how the person's responding to you. And we mm-hmm. want to try to, um, you know, meet them where they are emotionally. So if they're describing this horrendous thing that's happened in their life, we want to kind of meet them where they are with that. And, and we don't want to sound like we're trying to... Um, convince them they should be happier than they are and we don't want to say things that will make them feel like there's no hope either so we have to kind of gauge how we're responding to them by how they're responding back to us um Hmm. people are really good at at saying i don't think you understand i don't feel like you're understanding me right now and it gives us an opportunity to to address that and and ask them you know how can I better help you? So really just having the conversation with the person who's looking for the help and responding appropriately to whether, you know, there's rapport in the conversation in the relationship that we're developing with them. Hmm. How long do these conversations, how long are you on the phone? Um, it really depends on the call type. I mean, we do have people who call and they truly are just looking for a resource. And so, um, we'll ask them how they're doing, you know, how they're coping with the situation, give them the phone number, and the call lasted two minutes. And then other calls might take an hour. Um, it really just depends on what's happening with that individual and, and what they need. You know, we definitely want to leave them in a safe place. And, I mean, literally, we want, you know, we're not going to end a call with someone we think is at risk because we've been talking for 20 minutes and I need to, you know, go get a cup of coffee now. <laughs> we don't do that. Uh, <laughs> I'll, gonna, I'm on break. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm sorry. Sorry, fine. Let's break now. I have sorry. to go now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of flexibility yeah, on the fun. part of the counselors. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. I can't imagine that volunteers do this. I, I just can't. Um, okay, so uh, you are talking to people, I mean, what if they just keep going? What if they keep going for like an hour? Is that too long? Is that long enough? I mean, we go to see counselors and we go for, what is it, about 50 minutes or 55 minutes or an hour if you're lucky, I suppose. Um, Is that a typical, can can you do that with a phone call as well? Or is this something that has to move quicker? Do the counselors say, listen, you'd be better off going to see somebody in person? I I have some resources for you. I mean, what do you do? Do they just Um, keep listening? It just really depends on the individual. 
and, and what they're presenting with and what their needs are. I mean, there are times when we tell people, um, you know, we've, we've come to some kind of resolution with the crisis and it is, it is time to, to move on. But usually at that point, we've come up with a plan with them. We've collaborated with them on what they're going to do next. And so they're ready to go do whatever it is that they're going to do next. Um, I would say, you know, most of our phone calls probably are like 15 to 20 minutes long. Um, mm-hmm. the, the hour, the hour and a half call is more of uh, an unusual circumstance. Most people really um, seem to respond well to a brief intervention. They're not coming to us looking for a therapy session. Um, if we feel like they'd benefit from therapy, though, we're happy to, you know, help give them some resources where that you know, could happen. Therapy costs money, though. I mean, I, I you know, in, in looking at the free crisis hotlines, I think, you know, I mean, therapy costs money, and therapy is not that easy to find. Um, and, you know, not all therapists belong to all insurance plans, and not all mm-hmm. this, and all, you know, they're not all in the same, you know, area. I mean, getting, uh, going to a, a, a one-on-one therapist sounds like a great idea sometimes, but easier said than done. Whereas mm-hmm. with the hotline, I, I suspect you can just pick up the phone. I mean, do you ever get a busy right. signal on the hotline? Um, you should not get a busy signal, but, you know, like with any call center, um, at any given moment, if more people call than there are counselors in the room, somebody's going to be stuck in our queue listening to, you know, the message that your call is very important to us, you know, that kind of situation. Um, and that does happen. It doesn't happen as often as it seems like it would. You know, some days you you look at the schedule and you think, wow, so-and-so called out today. <laughs> How are we going to manage this? What's going to happen if all the people call today? Um, but that doesn't honestly ever actually happen where all the people call today. Um, but it's a concern that we have because we obviously want people to get through as quickly as possible. Um, but it's just the nature of a call center that sometimes there is going to be a delay. Well, and you mentioned the chat room, and I know mm-hmm. that I did uh, an interview with some of the po- folks that do the domestic violence hotline, and, of course, mm-hmm. they've been around, and they operate out of Texas, and they've been around for 25 years now, and they said that, it, that and this was maybe two years ago that I, I interviewed them, and they said that their uh, chat line, their online um, counseling, mm-hmm is about 50-50 with the the um, uh, actual phone calls now. Uh, do oh, you see yeah. that as, as more of a trend, as younger people are more and more used to talking into a machine instead of talking to somebody's eyes? Absolutely. Um, at any given moment, there are people waiting to have their chats answered. Um, you know, there are times when the phone doesn't ring, believe it or not, <laughs> um, but that does not occur on the online portion. There's always somebody waiting hmm. or coming in. And and those are the younger ones. Do you see a difference in the, the reason for the calls between some of the chat line uh, contacts as, as opposed to the, the verbal phone calls? Um, I would say that... Suicide is the number one reason that people come to the online service. It's not always the number one reason why they call the hotline. Um, but when we you know, run statistics on it, about 80% of the people who come into our chat service are having active thoughts of suicide. I think 
the online just feels so much more anonymous that people are more comfortable talking about suicide there. Wow. That's interesting. That's interesting. Because mm-hmm. um, I would think that if you were feeling that way, you'd want the warmth of a voice. You'd want to hear emotion. You'd want to... Mm-hmm. That's. But clearly, I am not on trend. Um, <laughs> yeah, wow, that's interesting. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I would think that at that time, and I have experienced... My father committed suicide, so I'm not just speaking frivolously about this, I would think that the warmth of the human voice would be really, really important to, when you were reaching out. Um, that's interesting. That You should, you should yeah. apply for a grant and do a study on that. There <laughs> you want to add that to your to-do list? There is research being done <laughs> at Columbia University um, with the, about the online service, lots of different aspects yeah. to the research, but it is being researched. Oh, very good, very good. Um, yeah, that's interesting. You know, the the that that to me those those are the kinds of things that I find absolutely fascinating because I always think mm-hmm. of the why, why this, you know, this. Right. this anyway, anyway, okay. Right. No, it's so, been a really fascinating process going through the bringing the online portion into it. It's ended up not being anything like what we guessed it might be like because we didn't know. We thought it would be more like yeah. a warm line, but it's ended up having a much higher acuity than the hotline. Okay, and when you say warm line versus hotline, explain that, please. So there are some um, communities that have a warm line, which is more for people um, who may, you know, they may or may not be in crisis, um, you know, and we allow people to define their own crisis. Um, But they might just want to talk to someone because they're lonely versus, you know, I have this particular crisis. Um, so there's that's a warm line where you know they're not calling because they're su- I mean I'm sure that there are suicidal people who call warm lines as well, but you know that the overwhelming majority of the calls are not about an emergency circumstance, um, so they call it a warm line instead of hot. It's not. It's not. It's it's not right this second crisis, but it's something I need to talk out kind of thing. Yeah, sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Or I just need okay. to have another human being to connect with because I don't have anyone in my life. Hmm. How many years have have has you I mean, what are the trends? Are the the types the reasons that people call in to your particular center? Have have they changed over the last 10 years, 15 years? You know, I don't really think so. Um, I think, you know, the same horrible events happen in people's lives um, pretty consistently over the last 10, 15 years. You know, definitely um, there's probably the one thing I would say is that, you know, there's definitely more fear among young people about um, school shootings. Um, There seems to be uh, higher levels of anxiety around performance for young people at school and what am I going to do with my life? I'm supposed to know right now. I'm only 15, but everybody wants me to know today what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Um, I think that that those are probably the areas that that I would say have, have changed a bit. 
Huh. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Um, when I think, and again, you know, please excuse my ignorance. I, I appreciate how you're 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 humoring me <laughs> with with my ignorance. Um, but I would think that there's a difference uh, between, oh my gosh. You know, daddy hit mommy, or you know, my 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 sister died, or my sister's crucially sick. I would think there would be a difference between that crisis, if you will, and mm-hmm. I just read in the paper about another school shooting, or an airplane went down, or there's a hurricane five states over. Is it different though? Um, it's really going to be dependent on that person and their coping skills and their resiliency. Um, you know, unfortunately, we've had school shootings right here in our community. Um, and so, you know, often the young people we're talking to about their fear, they've actually been directly impacted. You know, it happened at their school or in the neighboring town. Um, I'm not seeing a lot of kind of random anxiety about it. Um, it's usually related to specific events that they've either experienced directly or they've experienced um, through the media. Yeah. Um, Okay. Um, What are some of the other reasons that people would call? You've talked about, uh, you know, anxiety or performance for the young people, Mm -hmm. uh, um, fear of school shootings, um, you mentioned a hurricane, uh, we talked a lot about suicide, but what are some of the other reasons that people would call? Do they ever call because they're just lonely? Yes, they do. Yep. Yep. We get a lot of uh, and calls because people, they're, you know, disconnected from relationships in the world. Either, you know, they don't speak to their family anymore they don't have any friends, they don't, you know, they don't have anyone. And so they will call and and talk about those feelings of feeling isolated and and being lonely. Yeah. Um, yeah, we And we've got a chat room that you can go to where you won't even hear a woman's voice. I don't know. That's that seems mm-hmm. I don't know. There's something about that that bothers me. Maybe I'll, maybe maybe your next call is going to be from me. You know, I can't, I can't, <laughs> I I can't. Uh, uh, what do they call it? Not justify, but I can't. You know, figure out um, how in our society we seem to be seeing more and more people who feel disconnected, and yet we have technology that's doing more and more to disconnect us, even though there are multiple ways to connect through technology, mm-hmm. but we're not really connecting yeah. that way, are we? Yeah. That's it's, a whole different it's show. It's being researched as well. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> it is. It's an interesting thing that's occurring. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what do you do if the lines are really busy and you've got a person calling who is just calling because they're lonely? Um, or do you respect that? Do you, do you prioritize these calls or do you treat them each as if they are... Um, a valid, legitimate, equally weighted crisis. We do. We we do. I mean, it, we're operating under the premise that crisis is self-defined. What's a crisis to you might not be to me. Um, so we don't judge what the person brings to us as their crisis. Um, and so we're going to give them our time as well. And, you know, we can... 
I mean, I've had that feeling when I've been on the phone in the past. Like, I know that there are a couple of calls waiting. Um, what if that call that's waiting is someone who's going to die if they don't get to talk to someone? Um, and I know that, you know, speaking personally, that that feeling um you know, can impact my decisions about how much time to spend, you know, with the current person I'm talking to if they're in a safe situation. Um, but what I learned from experience is um, that internal anxiety that I had around what is that other call that's waiting, honestly never, I learned it just, it doesn't matter. It, it, that never happened. You know, when I got the next call, it was never um what I had feared it would be. Um, so we have to do a lot of managing our own um, emotional responses to the environment that we're in taking these calls. Um, and so you learn just to be with the person you're talking to, give them what they need, help them be safe um, or safer, and um, just take care of that one call before you go on to the next one. Do you get more calls from men or from women? Um, I would say anecdotally that more women call than men. Um, but, you know, I think that's slowly changing over time. Like our online service, you know, when we started, it was almost, you know, 100% people under 25. And now several years later, you know, we have adults who utilize it too. So I think... I think things kind of normalize and balance out to a certain degree over time. Um, we definitely have a lot of males who call, but if I were just to say off the top of my head, I would say more females. Yeah. Um, do you have repeat callers? And if so, is that a problem or not? Um, you know, one of the functions that we serve in the public mental health system where we live is um, offering support to people who might be facing a more chronic struggle, um, you know, like maybe they have, you know, bipolar or, you know, or they have schizophrenia. Um, and so that, you know, that has better times and worse times, like everything in life. Um, and so we do offer ongoing support for people. And we do have people who we talk to as needed based on what they feel they need, um, over long periods of time, and um, that's okay. That's you know also one of the reasons that we're here. They they don't they're not going to have access to their case manager or their counselor um, at three in the morning, but they have access to us, and so we do offer them support. You know, it, for do you some get of most the people, of the calls at night? Um, no, honestly, we don't. I would say most oh, of the okay. calls come in during, you know, the standard business day and into the evening. And the overnight portion is, is usually, not always, but usually um, less calls coming in because hopefully yeah. people are sleeping. Yeah. Um, what about burnout? How how long do volunteers, uh, how long is their shift and, and how long do they do it as far as weeks, days, years? Uh, what, How does that work? It's really variable. I know that some of the um, crisis centers that utilize volunteers more than we do at this one, um, they've had volunteers who've been with them for 20 years, you know, and they love it. Um, our volunteers work about 
four hours a week. And it really just depends on, on the individual. We get a lot of students who volunteer, kind of like how I came into it as a volunteer, who are exploring their options or they're in a program and so they need, you know, hours to collect for a graduate application or they want to get this experience because, you know, if they stay in the field at all, if they're going to work with humans, they're going to encounter suicide. And so knowing how to how to deal with that, what to do, um, is really valuable. Even if it's not their lifelong goal to only do suicide prevention, it is going to be part of their jobs, whatever those jobs end up being. Um, when we talk about suicide, when you watch the TV shows and everything, you know, so the, the person calls the hotline and suicide is imminent and the person on the other end of the phone is able to contact police and get police to go knock on that person's door and prevent the, the crime or the suicide, does that actually happen? It does, yeah. Not as often as people think it does, but yes, it does happen. Um, you know, it's utilizing the police is always the last thing that we'll do. It's not what we want to do. What we want to do is is make a safety plan with the individual and, um, you know, collaborate with them. And sometimes people collaborate with us to bring the police to them, um, depending on the circumstances. Um, but sending them out in that kind of, you know, they don't know they're coming and then they're, they're at their door, we really avoid that as much as we can. Um, and I just ran reports recently, and we took about, a thousand chat conversations last month and four I I just ran reports and now I can't remember the number but it was less than 5%. I think it was like 4.2% of those ended up in some kind of outside referral to police or child protection. So it's a pretty low okay. number. Yeah. Um so how, and I know I think you might have mentioned this. How many how many professionals do you have at your organization, and how many volunteers? So um, most of our staff is professional paid staff. Um, probably like two percent of the people talking on the phone or online here are volunteers. So okay. it's a pretty low number here. And Other way back centers, when we first started, it's probably like 80%. Yeah. Way back when we first started this conversation, you had started talking about, you know, getting involved in this as a volunteer before you were going to mm -hmm. school. And I cut you off, I think, and I apologize for that, but oh. you didn't talk, or at least <laughs> I didn't let you talk, about what is your educational background. What What did you end up um Oh, yeah. Doing? So I ended up pursuing speech and hearing sciences, so that is my, what my bachelor's degree is in. And then okay. I got a master's in teaching um, ah. and and attempted to leave mental health. Um, and I, I did work in <laughs> tools for five, five and a half years <laughs> while doing this as well. I, I never completely let this go, ever. I don't know that I ever would completely stop doing it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, here I am back. <laughs> And it's, you know, an interesting um, path to get here, but it's all worked out really well for what I actually do now. Um, my studies in diagnosing communication disorders is really, really helpful for looking at the online transcripts and figuring out, okay, what didn't work? 
in this interaction and then adjust uh, the training, create a new training to remedy that. You know, like how do you express empathy and genuine emotion only in writing? It's a challenge. Yeah. There's Um, only so much an emoji can do. (laughs) Yeah, we don't use them at all because they don't do very much. (laughs) Um, So having having my specific background has ended up being tremendously helpful in creating a program that works pretty well. Do you ever uh, do they ever take the, some of the chat clients and and say why don't you pick up the phone and give me a call here I want to really just talk to you and hear your voice. We do offer that, yeah. Um, yep, we do that. I mean, the majority of people coming and utilizing that service they would prefer not to talk on the phone, um, but there are times in the conversation where it feels like it would make more sense to be talking to this person voice to voice, and so we'll offer that. And, um, you know, sometimes they say yes, and we call them. Other times they don't want to talk on the phone. That's why they came in online, and we just continue the conversation online. Yeah. What about privacy? What is privacy about? I mean, we already said that if you needed to, if you thought that, you know, 4% of your clients require some sort of, further intervention. What about privacy? I mean, if I call in, isn't it private? Mm -hmm. And even if I say I'm going to do something horrible, um, how do you, how do you, you know, ethically, what do you do about the privacy? And how do you technically um, get past that whole privacy, confidentiality thing? Um, so we follow or is the there no expectation of privacy if you're on, a, on a, tele, a chat line or a phone call? I would think there really wouldn't be an expectation of privacy. Um, you know, it really depends on the individual. Everybody has a different expectation around that. Some people just ask us straight up, you know, can you trace this? Can you track me? Can you send the police out to see me if you decide that you want to? And we just tell them the truth, that, yes, we can do that, Um we also tr- do everything possible to avoid doing that. But, you know, they have a right to know that we do mm-hmm. have that ability. Not 100% of the time, um, but, you know, we do have that ability, and they, it, they have the right to know that. Um, every conversation is protected um, under, you know, is every conversation we have is a medical record, basically. It's protected health information. So the confidentiality piece, no one is ever going to know that you contacted us, like, in your community, your friends, your family. These conversations are not going to be released in any public format at all, ever. Um, But where there's imminent risk of suicide or homicide, then those confidentiality laws don't hold up, and that's what allows us to contact the police. And then we're also mandatory reporters for child uh, abuse. Ah, there we go. What about for domestic violence? Mm -hmm. For domestic violence, um, we don't – I mean, there's, to my knowledge, in this area anyway, there's no obligation to report that. Now, if I'm talking to someone – um, and they're telling me I'm terrified, I'm locked in a closet. If that person comes through the door, I'm going to die. Then I'm going to collaborate with them to get someone out there, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. But that, you know, we don't get that call very often. But we have had it before. 
Um, but as far as, you know, reporting that, we, there wouldn't, I can't think of a reason that, that we would ever do that. Um, we also are going to respect what the person wants. You know, I think for domestic violence and for, for rape, there's, you know, a lot of really um, negative pressure in society in general that you must respond to it this way. You must report it. You must leave. You must um, do all these things. And we put that aside. And so that's Good. one of our training points is to put that aside and you have to respect this person and what they want right now. Leaving today might not be the best option for them. It might not be the safest option for them. Um, right. So don't push your agenda on what you think they should do. Yeah, that's so. I'm so glad to hear you say that because we do. We, um, you know, we think that we know what's best um, when we don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. We just see a little tiny piece of the picture. We don't see the whole right. picture. Uh, right. And when I say we, I mean friends, family, you know, yeah. uh, people who work in the field and, mm-hmm. you know, and people who are in your field. So I, that's kind of refreshing. Then that brings me to the last question on my list, which <laughs> is what kind of regulation is there for for this industry? I guess it's fair to call it an industry, um, the, the crisis yeah. hotline yes. Uh, what, what regulation? <laughs> who who oversees this? Who do you have to yeah. be licensed to tell tell me what you, what so hoops you have to go? We our our particular call center here, crisis center, is licensed through the Department of Health, um, and so we are under those WACs and RCWs that are pertinent to the license that we have, and we get audited. Um, we also um, are accredited by different organizations like the American Association of Suicidology, um, Contact USA. Um, so there are entities out there <laughs> that accredit um, organize, crisis centers to make sure that they are delivering a quality service and, and following the ethics and the laws that relate to the work that we do. Um, so we get audited every year by somebody. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And are there requirements to the for the training from these organizations and licensures? Yeah, there are. Bodies? There are mm-hmm, yep, specific requirements of things that we have to have in our training. Absolutely. Okay. Terrific. Um we still have <clears throat> a little bit of time. Would it be possible or or feasible for us to kind of role play uh, what would happen if I called a hotline? We can try it, sure. Okay, and I'm trying to think of a crisis. So, um, let me see. Uh, I got to think of a crisis. You know, it's not like there haven't been crises in my life, but um, <laughs> but I have to decide which ones I want to share here. Um, right. Okay. A, a t- my teenage child, uh, and this one I'm making up. This is this this is why I'm, I'm safe saying this one because this didn't actually happen to me. But my teenage child. Uh, has gone wild, uh, has been drinking, and has a pattern of uh, truant behavior, and now my teenage uh, uh, son is threatening to hit me and uh, do something horrible. And I don't want to call the police because the police will arrest him, and I don't want my baby boy to be taken to, to juvie. Um, what I don't know what to do. You know, uh, that that's my crisis. Mm-hmm. So I call your hotline. 
yeah, this is going to be weird to like actually try to do a role play, but I can tell you my thought process around that call and crisis. That's good that enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I would want to first, I mean, my, my primary goal would be, are you safe right now? Is your son there with you, threatening you in any way? Has he already, you know, assaulted you? Or is he about to assault you? I'd want to, to know that. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, we do talk to people a lot who have um, situations where they don't want to involve the police. And so we'll try, if if safety is good for right now, we'll try to help them think of other solutions. Um, You know, assuming that you lived in my community, um, I would want to connect you to the resources for parents who are struggling with teens. There are some really good um, resources for counseling support groups that you know might even be free for a certain period of time to get to get the family through this particular crisis. Um, try to provide some knowledge about you know filing an at-risk youth petition. Have they have they done this? You know wh- what have they been doing? Oftentimes that's the the actual starting place is immediate safety. What have you already been trying to do? So instead of me just asking you, have you done this? Have you done that? What are, you know, what have you done to try to you know make this a better situation? Um, find out what their resources are. Can we connect them to resources? And then I think you know a piece that we can sometimes forget about is validating their feelings, their fear, their frustration, um, their concern for their child. You know, that's, I mean, that's that concern for that child's well-being that's part of the reason that that mother doesn't want to involve the authorities. Um, so I don't know if that was a good role play or not. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. Um, and, and that just brings me right back to why I wouldn't be good, because I'd be going, of course, call the police. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be throwing out advice instead of, you know, do, being sensitive and everything like you are. So, okay, clearly I have to cross off a crisis hotline volunteer from my, <laughs> my bucket list. That, that's not going to work for me, I guess. Um, thank you so much. We have a couple minutes left, and um, one of the things – um, that I wrote down, that I jotted down while you were talking, is you said that we have to that you evaluate and you um, try and figure out how, you know, what to do if something didn't work and how to do it differently. How do you know if something didn't work? Somebody's on that phone for just this brief few minutes. How do you know whether what they come or didn't work? Um, so one of the things uh, that's uh, from a training, teaching, managing perspective that's wonderful about the online is the conversation is is uh, it is available in print form, not to the community, <laughs> but to me as the okay. manager yeah. to look at that conversation. And so it's really obvious if the person's like, you're the worst counselor I've ever talked to, you're not helping me at all, and they hang up, that something didn't work in <laughs> that conversation. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I think that's a fail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and okay. so it might not be anything the counselor did, but what could we do to make this better in the future? 
You know. Do you ever get people calling in who are just so angry? Just, I mean, yeah. you know, it's a difficult society that we live in. It's in a very impersonal society, and um, there's all sorts of roadblocks to establishing human connections. And uh, I'm surprised that we don't see more people who are just totally alienated and who go off and do bizarre things because of that alienation with humanity. Is that just me? Or do, <laughs> or do you actually see people who just kind of have that kind of, of anger calling in. Um, yeah, we definitely have <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to go through and edit this show angry. to make sure I <laughs> remove all my, all my comments that make me sound like a blooming idiot. <laughs> <laughs> um, we definitely have people who are calling who are angry, and sometimes they're angry related specifically to what the crisis is, and sometimes it seems that the anger is just pervasive throughout their life. Yeah. And 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 yeah. who they are in this at this moment in time, um, and so you know we try to just you know give to to validate that, um, to allow them to feel the way that they feel, um, but at the same time we want them to treat the counselors you know respectfully. That doesn't mean they can't be angry. They can be angry. Um, but where we, you know, train the counselors is, you know, what's the difference between someone being angry and someone personally attacking you yes. and being abusive yes. and harassing? Yeah. You know, and that's yes. where we, you know, kind of draw the line there. Rena, I have learned so much, and um, it's been a good time, surprisingly. I think sometimes when people think, oh, you're going to talk about a crisis line, where, you know, but uh, this has been interesting, and it's been enlightening, and, and, and it's been uh, a good experience for me. So I appreciate you coming on the show and talking about crisis services. Um, again, you are involved with crisis services at Volunteers of America, Western Washington. If somebody wanted to get hold of you or wanted to learn more about crisis services, do you have an idea of where they could go online or who they could call? Um, they could certainly call, I mean, assuming that we're talking about a national audience right now, um, they could certainly call we the are. national number, the 800-273-TALK number. Um, that's, that's probably the easiest thing to remember and the best resource um, for, you know, talking to a national audience to utilize. Yeah. Um, okay. And that's 800-273-TALK. So there's uh -huh. a resource for all of us. If we yeah. uh, don't find other resources, if we have things in our lives and we we just need help, there's a place to go. And it is a crisis hotline. And so 800-273-TALK. Rena Fitzgerald, thank you so much for sharing with us and for edu educating us and enlightening us about what you do and what crisis hotlines can do. Thank you. I appreciate You're it. Welcome. And thank you for listening on Three Women, Three Ways. Join us again next week. Hey, Rena, are you uh -huh. still there? Yep. Okay. The show, I just ended the episode. Um, it will disconnect us shortly, but I just wanted you to know that it ended weirdly because for some reason my, my uh, music bed didn't pop up, so I'm not oh, sure what okay. that's all about. But I, I'll paste some of it in there at the end for <laughs> when we air. So it'll sound more professional. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us. You're Thank welcome. you for, for doing this. I learned a lot. I hope I wasn't too flip Good. about the whole thing. No, I don't think so. I mean, you know your audience, so... <laughs>
<laughs> well, well, I think sometimes, you know, we talk we talk so much about such sad stuff and I always think if there's a way to yeah. make it a little lighter, we should, you know. Because um, yeah. otherwise we're all going to be, you know, oh, you know. Anyway, yep. so that's my philosophy. Good luck with your health. Please, if you Thank think of you. something, if you ever want to uh, talk about the show again or uh, do anything um, uh, or come up with an idea that would be great, you have my contact information. Oh, okay. I do... I do need um, a phone number, or I've got the phone number. I'm sorry. I do need a photo from you. Am I going to get one if I just Google? Oh, a photo? Yes. I thought I sent you one. I guess. Did you? I Maybe. I don't have that I email don't know. open. Okay. I don't know. All right. If you, if, if I, I'll look at the email I sent you, and if there's no photo on it or it didn't work for some reason, just let me know. I mean, yeah. you can Google okay. and see what you get. I don't know what you'll get, but you can see what you get. <laughs> well, usually when you Google, you get 15 different faces. You don't know which one. So That's true. Um, the last time I Googled myself, it was me speaking at somewhere that came up first, and I was like, wow, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. Okay, well, thank you so much. Good luck with the work that You're you welcome. do, and uh, I appreciate it. Once the show will air, I'm going to have it air uh, for the first time on Saturday the 24th. At 11 okay. a.m. Once it airs for the first time, it will be in the archives. Then it will be available to anybody and everybody for free after that. And um, if you um, want to, you can you can go to the archive, click on it, download the link, and use it in any way you want. Put it on your website, okay. whatever. Um, and um, again, thank you for doing this. And if I can ever return the favor in some way, let me know. Okay. Okay. All right. And it's and good luck with your airbag. Lovely airbags. to speak with you. <laughs> and I can laugh about that because been there, done that. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, yep. Thank feeling kind of like rocks right now. <laughs> oh yeah, that's what I always thought. They're they're like tires. It's like mm-hmm. pushing a tire. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But it gets better. It gets better. Yeah. Thank you so much, Rena. You're welcome. It was a pleasure to meet you. Yeah. You too. Bye bye. Bye. Bye bye. <laughs> 